Welcome to the audio podcast of the weekly Sunday message from Live Oak Community Church in Lubbock, Texas. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your love and pursuit of Jesus Christ. Because we desire that Sunday morning truths become Monday morning realities in your life, we offer Sunday resources you can easily access on the homepages of our app and website. This includes everything from a Bible reading plan, to Spotify playlists, to discussion questions you can use with a group, your family, or even on your own as journal prompts. Thanks for listening, and without further ado, here's this week's message. Hey, uh, I hope that you guys were inspired by that and that you will consider grabbing a box or ten and uh, filling those up and getting them back. This is a great way for us to serve as a church. So, hey, we're going to transition into uh, our teaching time now, and I have the privilege to introduce our intern slash resident, Branson Nash. He's been on staff here for about two and a half years in his role, serving in various roles in ministry here at Live Oak. Some of y'all have heard him teach here on Sunday morning before, but sadly, this is last Sunday on staff officially. He's still going to be around, and we're not killing him off. He's just transitioning. He's taking a job over at Texas Tech. He'll still be a volunteer here at at Live Oak, but this is last uh, Sunday with us in his official intern slash resident status. I want to thank Branson for... Uh, what he has done here at Live Oak. Many of you guys don't know this, but he has served in so many ways uh, in so many ministries and done an amazing job. We believe in investing in the next generation. Uh, we, I have seen Branson invest in the next generation behind him, and uh, I've seen what God's doing in your life, and I'm privileged to be a part of it. Live Oak's privileged to be a part of that, so thank you so much. Uh, he's going to get to share with you today out of the book of Titus, and as part of his development, he and Doug, our senior pastor, put together this series together. So he's helped build this series. And so I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you again. We appreciate you so much. Yeah. So, Well, I don't know about all of that. Y'all can clap. It's okay. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Usually I don't get applause when I get on stage. Usually people start booing or try to kick me off stage. This is a little weird. I don't know how to handle this. Uh, but like Mark said, my name is Branson. I'm a resident here at Live Oak for about two or three more hours, and today we're starting this brand new series called Doing Good. It's going to be a study of the book of Titus. And so if you have your Bibles today, you can go ahead and turn to Titus. I'll have the verses on the screen behind me as well, but we're going to start off in Titus 1 today. We'll get there here in a minute. But the book of Titus is all about these two words right here, doing good. Doing good for the sake of the kingdom, doing good for the sake of others. And that's where we're going to go through here for the next three weeks, this three-part series. I remember uh, when I was growing up, we would take road trips all the time. We still do, but I remember hopping in the back of my mom's Tahoe, be me, my younger brother, my older sister, and we'd go to all different kinds of events, soccer tournaments, baseball tournaments, tech sporting events on the road, go see family, go to camping trips. We're on the road constantly. And one of our favorite things to do as siblings, I mean, we had the, the lap DVD player, we had DS, we had the Game Boy, but our favorite thing to do as siblings was to argue. Complain in the back of the car, you know, just poke at each other, bicker, just for the fun of it. I mean, it just warms my heart thinking about it, because there's nothing quite like it. And I'm sure my mom felt the exact same way. And so I remember one time I got in the car, my mom gets in the driver's seat, she turns it on, and she doesn't pull out, says she turns around and hands the three of us each a bag of quarters. I don't know where she got these ideas from but she handed us each a bag of quarters, 20 quarters in each one, so five bucks. She's like, okay, here's the deal. Every time you complain, argue, bicker, ask how far are we, I'll take a quarter out. If you don't do any of that, the quarters are all yours. 
Well, when you're 12 years old, $5 is a lot of money. When you're 22 years old, $5 is a lot of money. <laughs> we loved collecting baseball cards, something my, me and my brother did. So that's five trips to the dollar store to get baseball cards. Or I guess really four trips after we found out about taxes. That was a tough day as well. And so we would get these quarters, and all of a sudden we became the most angelic children you ever met. I mean, we were up for Kid of the Year nominees. That was such a thing. I was like, Mom, you see me? I'm, I'm washing the windshield right now. You see that, Mom? That's neat. I'm, I just buckled his seatbelt. He's 10 years old. He can buckle his own seatbelt. But I just did it for him, Mom. You see that? Yeah? That's pretty neat, isn't it? We were doing good for the sake of monetary value, the sake of ourselves. The book of Titus is all about doing good for the sake of the kingdom. As spiritual leaders, which is us in this room, doing good so we can go do good out there. And so, like I said, we're going to be in the book of Titus today. And really what we did for this series, uh, mine and Doug's biggest goal was to just engage scripture, get us all engaging scripture together. And so what I did to prepare for this message is I soaped through Titus 1. And what SOAPS is, it's an acronym that we use here at LiveBook. I know many of y'all use it. Other churches use it as well. It stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer, and Share. It's a way to debrief Scripture, maybe make it make a little more sense if you're struggling to understand it, uh, figure out ways to observe what God is saying or apply it to your life. And so really what I did today is I SOAPS it, and I'm just up here, when I'm up here today, I'm going to go through what I discovered when I was going through Titus 1. But we want you all to do this for yourself as well. Maybe it's right now, I don't mind you taking notes, or maybe it's throughout the week. I love to hear what you have found. I think that's how we kind of grow in community and grow in our faith is sharing scripture with one another, sharing our takes with one another. So I'd love to hear maybe after the service or next Sunday or throughout the week what you have found reading through Titus. And so I'm just going to go through and kind of break down what I have found in this chapter. And one question I love to ask, or really three questions I love to ask when I start a new book of the Bible is, who wrote it? Why did this person write it? And who is he writing it to? So we're going to go ahead and jump in to Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 1, if I can get this to work. Uh, let's go ahead and dive through it. Remember, those three questions. Who wrote it? Why did he write it? And who is he writing it to? Paul there's your first answer. That was easy. A servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect in their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season has brought to light the preaching and trust to me by the command of God our Savior. So that first question I said is who wrote this book? And so it tells us right there at the beginning, Paul. Paul calls himself a servant of God. He, he's introducing t, uh, himself to the person on the other end of this letter. So who is Paul? Who is Paul? That's another good question to ask, something that we may know ourselves. A lot of people know who Paul is, but before he was known as Paul, he was a guy named Saul. And Saul was not a guy you wanted to run into. You did not want to have him in your 8 a.m. Algebra, uh, algebra class. I mean, you did not want to be around this dude because he was anti-Christian, made it his life mission to kill Christians, to persecute Christians. Until he had an encounter with God, it changed his ways. He became one of the biggest advocates for the church to this day, wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, including this letter to Titus. So that's who wrote this. Next question is, why did Paul write it? Well, it says right here, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who does, not, uh, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So he's writing it to who's ever on the other end, 
spoiler, it's Titus. He's running us to Titus saying, hey, I'm running this letter because I believe that you are a strong leader and I want you to be equipped to help build up other leaders in this place that I'm sending you to. Because if you do, it's going to uh, help grow the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, and that will lead to the hope of eternal life. No pressure at all, Titus. And so he's writing this book to Titus. It says right here, to Titus. If this was a star test or a midterm exam, it would be the easiest, easiest answers you've ever gotten. It would all uh, pass with 100. To Titus, my true son and our common faith, grace and peace from the God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So there's our answers. Who wrote it? Why did he write it? Who is he writing it? Two. And so the question is now is who is Titus? Who is Titus? There's a guy who lived during this time named Titus. This is him. And he was a formidable asset for the Roman Empire. One of the greatest empires to this date. That's this guy right here. He uh, started off as a general. His tactic was go and take, go and conquer. And it worked. He, his goal was to spread the Roman Empire and to spread their cause as far and wide as possible. He uh, became emperor for two years before he died. He created things like the Colosseum. The, this right here in front of the Colosseum is called the Ark of Titus. He loved himself a lot. He made a lot of things for himself. He took a lot of trophies when he would win battles like these right here after he raided one of the temples in Jerusalem. That was one of his biggest battles won as a general. And so he led by this way called forcible transformation. Forcible transformation, which essentially means kind of what I just said. We have a strong military. We think ours is better than y'all's, and we're going to go, and we're just going to take it. We're going to go, and we're going to conquer to the point where they almost conquered too much. That's who Titus is, but that's not the Titus that this book, the Bible, is written about. There's this thing called the, the story of two Tituses, if you will. There's that Titus, and then there's the Titus of the Bible, and he led by this way called subversive transformation. Trying to transform, but doing it subversively. I think of subversive, I think of like submarine, under the radar. Kind of the way Jesus lived. Jesus being born in a manger, Jesus dying on a cross to save humanity. Under the radar, not flashy. And that is how Titus was called to lead to go in and lead and grow and build the church by building leaders, by love, by accountability, by being a strong leader. But he was called to do it in this place called Crete. Now, Crete, is, it still exists now. It's kind of a vacation island uh, just outside of Greece. But at the time, Crete was not a place that you wanted to stumble across if you were a Christian. It was immoral, it was dirty, it was nasty. They were worshiping golden idols all the time, worshiping their money. They're doing anything but worshiping their creator. In fact, right here in verse 12, one of Crete's own citizens called Crete's liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Those are not names you want to be known by. If you get to pick three words, you're not picking anywhere close to those three words if you want to be known by something. But that's how people knew them. Liars, evil uh, brutes, lazy gluttons. And when I was reading this, I'm like, man, that kind of sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? To our, uh, to our world, to our life. Maybe you can think of somebody in your life who's like this. Maybe you can think of society, a group of society that's kind of like this, and it sounds a little bit familiar. But this is where Paul is sending Titus to. He's saying, hey, I want you to go to this dirty, nasty place, this place that is so immoral, and I want you to go build the church because that's the goal of the church, to go out and to go make more disciples, go out and build the church out there, 
outside of these walls. And the book of Titus shows us how to do this. So we're going to start off, uh, we're going to read through verses 5 through 9. We're going to go through, read all the way through, and then go back and break it down uh, soap style just a little bit. We'll start off here in verse 5. It says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages, there's another word for spiritual leader, God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So like I said, we're going to go through and just break down these verses. Kind of, I'm going to share what I have found when I went through and soaps through this passage. And so we're going to start off in verse 5 saying, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul right here, he's telling Titus, saying, Hey, no matter what, I'm sending you to this place this place that is called Crete, this place that is nasty, this place that is not a great place for the Christian faith, and I'm calling you to lead there. Because when I call you to lead, you should lead no matter what, because leaders lead no matter the setting. We are called to lead in the darkest places, to be light in the darkest places. Whether it's here, whether it's at our work, or our houses, out in a place like Crete in the world, that is what Paul is calling Titus to do. But he says, before we do that, there's a few things that are required of these spiritual leaders. And we start off with that in verse 6. An elder, that's another word for a spiritual leader, must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. He's saying first, almost requirement number one, if you will, before you can start leading, before you can start being a spiritual leader, you must be able to lead yourself well and lead your family well. Lead those around you. He wants us to fight the fight in here so we can go out there and do the same, so we can be so firm in our faith that we can go out into the darkest of places and not be shaken. It's just really kind of requirement number one, being good in your own faith, making sure your faith is stable, your faith is built on Jesus Christ. Because if you want to go out there, we can't be dead to our own sins. And so you must get right with God first. And then we go to verse 7, and we continue talking about an overseer, another word for a leader. Since the overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Another, word, another way to say all this, another way I've seen this verse worded is live above reproach. Living above reproach, which that can just be a super churchy word. For me, that's what it is. It's a super churchy word. I think about reproach, and I think of any time I've been in an interview for a Christian organization or uh, serving somewhere, questions you get are like, man, how do you live above reproach? What does that mean in your life? What does that look like in your life? So reproach can be a super churchy word. And really, for me, I think the best way to describe it for me is that it's a reminder that you're wearing God's t-shirt wherever you go that you're representing God wherever you go out there. Like right now, I'm wearing a t-shirt. I didn't plan this through all the way. I'm reading upside down. We, uh, we love because he first loved us. It'd be weird if I'm wearing this shirt and I go out there and I'm living a life that's full of blame, overbearing, quick-tempered, giving into drunkenness, violent, and pursuing dishonest gain. But I'm wearing a t-shirt that says Jesus loves you. What does it say about my faith, my relationship with Jesus? How much I value that if I'm not willing to listen to this? 
Or like same thing with your work or maybe a, sport, uh, a school or a sporting team that you like. If you're wearing your shirt, you want to represent them well. I know like, we went to Salt Lake City a couple weeks ago for the, the Tech game when they played BYU. And me and my brother were so proud to be wearing red and black in Salt Lake City for whatever reason. And we're like, we want to represent Tech well. You know, throwing the guns up to people, passing TSA line, you're throwing their guns up and like, put that down. You know, but we want to represent Tech well. And we want to represent God well as well. And so another way to word reproach is reproach. This is uh, by the very reliable source called dictionary.com. It says such that no criticism can be made. Well, that sounds like a lot of pressure, doesn't it? It sounds almost like we're trying to achieve perfection there. From a theological standpoint, reproach means the leader's life is free from sinful habits or behaviors that would impede them setting the highest Christian standard and modeled for the church to emulate. The leader's life, so it compares reproach to leaders, because they go hand in hand. The leader's life is free from sinful habits and behaviors that impede them setting the highest Christian standard and model for the church to emulate. So it's not, don't read that and think it's about perfection. Don't read it and think it's about pressure, but it's about representing God well. Remembering that we wear his t-shirt when we're out there. That we are pointing to him when we are out there. Living a life that is of God, not of this world, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't be conformed, uh, conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Being transformed, being transformed by God and living a life that points to him is such a huge step in being a spiritual leader and going and building the kingdom out there. And we continue verses eight and nine. It says, rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Paul is saying, you have to read and live by the word of Jesus Christ. Because we don't know what is hospitable and what is good and what is self-control, what is upright, what is holy, what is disciplined. We don't know what the trustworthy message is if we don't know the word, if we're not reading the word, but also treating the word like it's not just a book. It's not just a novel, but living in it, saying that it means something to me, so I'm going to live by it. I believe in it, and so I'm going to live in this way. That's what reading and living by the word means and it kind of all culminates, it's kind of the big idea that I kept coming back to when I read through Titus 1, it's that spiritual leaders fight the good fight. Spiritual leaders fight the good fight. I know that kind of sounds a little corny, but fighting the good fight through the values of Christ. And we often think about fighting the good fight as going uh, maybe through judgment or through being the holier-than-thou type of person, saying my way is so much greater than your way, even though, even though it is, but we have to live this life that is wearing God's t-shirt, a life that we lead through love, through accountability, through growing the kingdom. But first, it starts in here. It starts with ourselves. We can fight the good fight in here so we can go make a difference out there. There's a uh, theologian that lived in the 1940s Nazi Germany named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, We've talked about him before a few times up here. Uh, One of my favorite guys to read, and he was anti-Nazi, which as you can imagine, in 1940s Germany did not go over well. It was the reason that he died at such a young age. They put him to death, but he was called to go lead in a dark place like Nazi Germany, and he had this quote, that has always stuck with me, and it says that your life as a Christian should make non-believers 
question their disbelief in God. That is what living above reproach means. That is what living as a spiritual leader means. Going out and wearing God's t-shirt and saying, man, my life is different because I'm living for a different purpose. I'm living for a higher purpose than just this world. And other people begin to take notice of how great your God is, how great our God is. And that's how we live a life as spiritual leaders that builds the kingdom and that grows, uh, help grows others and helps introduce Christ to others because it's so much different than what the world says. Because remember, Titus was called to go to this place, this, this nasty, dirty place called Crete, where you, a place that you did not want to be hanging out with if you were a Christian and called to go and spread the gospel there. Go, uh, he was called to go build leaders there and let those leaders go build other leaders so they can start building churches in this country called Crete. And they did this because they knew that spiritual leaders have been and always will be God's plan A for growing the kingdom. They have been and always will be God's plan A, and there's really no plan B. The good thing is it's not all on us. It's not on us at all. But God has always invited us into helping build the kingdom. And he's always made us a plan A to helping spread the kingdom. And so if that's God's plan A, it should be plan A in our lives as well. So look at the different places you serve, the different places you're at in your day-to-day, school, work, social settings, the car, the grocery store. Where can we go and wear God's T-shirt? Because when you do, it makes a difference. When you're obedient to God, like uh, Paul says here in Romans 16, everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Saying, hey, know the dangers of this world, being wise about what is good, but when you are obedient, I rejoice. When you're obedient, good things happen. God can do so much with our obedience to him, with us wearing his t-shirt out there, because we are his plan A. And we all have the chance to be the spiritual leader that God's calling us to be if we follow what Paul is telling Titus. He's saying, hey, man, you can be a spiritual leader, and these people in Crete, these lost people can also be leaders for the kingdom, but we have to follow this guideline first. We have to be good in here. Our family, people around us, living above approach, wearing God's T-shirt. But Paul never gave up on Crete. Remember, they're liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. That's how people describe them. And Paul said, that's where I want to build the church. That's where I want to start. And he sent Titus there. He didn't give up on them, but instead he saw the potential for them to grow. So my question to y'all, and question to myself too that I need to answer is, who are the Cretes in your life? Who are these people in our lives that we call liars, brutes, lazy gluttons, the people that we have neglected, people that we tend to stay away from because uh, doing ministry over there is a little bit more difficult than doing ministry over here, or it looks a little bit more sloppy over here than it does over here. So where are those areas in our lives that we can go and be spiritual leaders, be a light in a dark place? Maybe it's a, a certain person, someone in your family, maybe it's uh, a roommate, somebody at your school, or maybe just people you see in the day-to-day people you pass by when you drive to work, people in the grocery store, people at the movie theater. Where can we go and wear God's t-shirt? Because we're being called to be spiritual leaders out there. We just got back uh, last week uh, from our college ministry retreat in Glorida, New Mexico. Our, it was an awesome two-day uh, two getaway. We 
those guys and girls grew so much in their faith with each other. And before we left, our college ministry director, Madison Romick, sent us this quote about leaders. And it says that the church needs more people to learn how to be personal because too many people feel invisible or ignored. That is what we're being called to do. That is what Paul was calling Titus to do. There's people who feel invisible or ignored to go out and get, to make it personal. Introduce them to Christ. Bring Christ into the room. Going back to that story of the two Tituses, you have the Titus over here, the one who went by the sword and tried to conquer everything. And you have the one who led by building the church and building other leaders and through love and accountability. One of their legacies still stands. The, the Titus, the Emperor Titus, I've heard of him in history class. I've heard of him because of the series, but it's not a guy you talk about a lot. His impacts really still aren't felt today, but this Titus over here, the one mentioned in the Bible, his impacts are felt today because he was obedient to God and he led subversively. He led by building other leaders. He led by wearing God's t-shirt, remembering that he was wearing God's t-shirt, by going out, out there and helping grow the kingdom. He left that legacy for us that we can still read now today in the book of Titus. And that word legacy is something that we've been in all year as a church, uh, celebrating the 30th birthday last month. And we can continue to live in that legacy, choosing the legacy of that Titus. So we can show up and live a life glorifying to God. Because we are godly leaders and we are his plan A. And when we are godly leaders, we can be light in dark places like Crete or wherever it is out there. But first, we need a sound faith so we can go and fight the good fight. So that's my observation, my application, going through the soaps. Now what? What can we go and do? We can be godly leaders. We can go be lights in dark places. We can go and do good, and we can go pursue a sound faith to go be a godly leader. In order to do that, to pursue the sound faith to be a godly leader, we have to be immersed in the Word, immersed in the Bible, and we have some chances for you to do that here at Live Oak uh, with the new series. We're starting a new reading plan on the Live Oak app and website that you can join. Uh, but also there's this version study that we wanted to highlight. This is something that me and Doug went through when we were preparing for this, uh, this series a few months ago. If you just type in Titus Part 1, you take a picture of this, it looks just like this on the Version Bible app. If you just go to the app, click the plans button, type in Titus Part 1, do it by yourself. Do it maybe with your family, like it says in verse 6. Do it with people out there. Do it. If you need something to do it with, do it with me. I'll go through it again. It was a great plan to kind of get some, uh, some perspective about what a spiritual leader is and about what the book of Titus is talking about. So look for that. Share it with somebody. It's not a live book wide thing necessarily, but share it with the people around you, your small group, the people sitting next to you, your family, whatever it may be. So find that plan it's just, I mean, Titus is only three books. It's a great place to start to dive into the Bible, to start to dive into being a spiritual leader. Let me pray for us real quick. Lord, thank you for uh, your template for how to be a spiritual leader and allowing us to be part of your plan, Lord. We, we are your plan A, and we can live in that legacy, the legacy that you have set, the legacy that guys like Paul and Titus have set, Lord, that we can go out and build the church out there. We can grow your kingdom, but Lord, I pray first, we get close with you. Pray first that we pursue our own faith, Lord, and we stand on the solid rock of Christ because we know that when we wear your t-shirt, Lord, we're representing you, and I pray that when we represent you, we rejoice because it's such an honor. We love you, and we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
Hey, don't forget, we have Operation Christmas Child and hygiene kits up here. Please come grab some. It's going on for a few more weeks. Uh, Y'all have a great Sunday. If you want to talk, I'll be up at the front.